So let's, uh, let me go ahead and open us with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll take it from there. Uh, Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this beautiful setting. Thank you, Father, for uh, the gift of the opportunities that you give us every day. And uh, I just want to say thank you for each person here. I want to pray uh, that abundance and creativity uh, and opportunities would flood toward the, the churches that are represented here in this room, that if there's discouragement, that you drive it out, that optimism would... Uh, would take over and hope uh, father would win the day uh, this is my prayer today as we get going in jesus name amen, amen. okay so i'm going to confess something at the very beginning and, and i know this this is not probably what you want to hear is we start this is going to be a bit of a mess all right and, and the reason is i've had people ask me uh, a lot because for whatever reason their observation is that i run into opportunities that that are not normal to people um, so my wife jokingly refers to me as Forrest Gump from time to time because I, I have this way of kind of ending up in the right spot at the right time or something like that. Um, I also probably could compare some times where I've been in the wrong place at the wrong time um, and, and had a different you know, kind of experience as well. Um, but I've had people kind of pushing me to say, hey, look, when this happened or when this happened or when this happened, how did that happen? How did that all take place? And... Um, and, and I haven't really had to try to put that down on paper before uh, and to try to clarify why, uh, for instance, we've had, um, I've, I've been a part of 10 church building acquisitions, okay? And what I mean by that is churches that died and gave their church buildings to the church that I was in at the time, uh, none of which had any debt on them. They were all free and clear and they were given just because. They thought we would do something good with them, right? Well, for that to happen once to people is pretty uncommon, all right? And then to have it happen two times is really uncommon. By the time you get to 10, uh, I started to be known as the undertaker by people who had a sense of humor about it. Um, but I noticed things like that. And then what's going on at New Vintage right now, uh, which is uh, really a miracle of God and something I'm going to use as the backdrop for everything that I'm going to say. Now, I had a really great... Um, I had a really great picture of everything, uh, but we weren't able to get the media and everything hooked up in here. So I'm going to ask you to imagine with me, and if you come back tomorrow, I have a couple of really cool things to show you that nobody else has seen before. All right? So you'll be the first to see them, and one of those will be um, uh, some renderings that we haven't actually released yet, because and they may not, it may not end up that way, but it'll give you a little better sense of, of kind of what we're trying to do. Um, over the years, I've consulted with somewhere north of probably 100 churches, most of which are churches of Christ, in some formal way, meaning there was some actual permission given from the leadership of the church for me to go ahead and engage the church and some invitation from them to do that. Um, and, you know, they've been inside and outside churches of Christ, and their ability to kind of recognize and, and move on opportunities uh, to me is one of the biggest leading indicators of how they're going to fare in the future. So if I were, like, if they were stocks, if churches were stocks, and I was picking stocks, uh, one of the things that I've observed is that churches who are able to recognize opportunities and then actually have the organizational agility, uh, the spiritual health, the faith, frankly, because a lot of opportunities don't look like opportunities. They're kind of dressed as crises, uh, sometimes they show up dressed as a coincidence or something like that. Um, and it does take, from, in many cases, a lot of guts to pursue some of these because um, they can be viewed as risky. 
Um, but there are leadership teams out there that I have seen that have the, um, the, the ability to recognize when God is moving in their midst and then be able to go ahead and, and seize those opportunities. So that's really what this is about. So if you're in a church where you're discouraged or maybe you're not discouraged and you guys are on cloud nine, you just want to make sure whatever you guys are pursuing, that makes some sense. Um, then that, you know, you're in the right place. And what I'm going to hope is that by the time that we're done, that you'll be able to take a look, step back at your own setting and go, hey, uh, here's some ways that ways of thinking about opportunities, ways of, of surfacing those that maybe you hadn't really thought about before um, and uh, ways of taking hold of those. Because that's the other thing. It's just because you recognize it's an opportunity. You know, when a guy decides, hey, I want to go ask her out. Okay, he has the opportunity to ask her out. That does not mean she will say yes. And even if she does say yes, it doesn't mean the date's going to go well. And even if the date goes well, it doesn't mean he's going to marry her. Right? There's a whole journey from right here and, and that point all the way through those particular objectives. And so um, it wasn't just a matter. It's not just a matter of seeing an opportunity and saying, okay, yeah, give me your church building. Now that creates a whole another sequence of events, some of which are fortunate, some of which are unfortunate. Uh, and so, um, in the case of what's going on at New Venice Church, I wanted to just give you a, a very brief introduction of what we're doing uh, and let you, um, and I'm going to use that as the backdrop for um, a series of opportunities uh, that, that we've been going through and uh, give you some traits. Today we're going to do the recognition piece. This is how you recognize opportunities. Tomorrow we're going to do uh, the taking hold of the seizing of those opportunities from kind of the beginning. Hey, let's see, this happens. Here's how you could take that and see that thing through. Some principles for just executing those, okay? Uh, nearly every crisis or tough moment that you encounter in a church has an opportunity tucked inside of it. So most people, just throw out something. Uh, you know, just give me a, a, something bad that happened at your church. We won't identify you on the tape uh, or whatever this is called these days. Um, something bad that can happen to a church, any church, doesn't even have to be yours. Youth minister quits. Okay. Give me another one. Church divides over an issue. Church divides over an issue. Okay. What else? Out of space. You're out of space. Okay. All right. So, so let's just take those three. Uh, youth minister quits. Okay. Are there any, any possible opportunities that are encased in that event? You could get a better one. Uh, what else were you paying that person? Okay, you saved money. Okay, uh, could you hire somebody better? Yes. Could you? You just saved money. It gives you a chance to rethink the entire ministry because their fingerprints were on it. So that might have been good, and you might want to continue those things. But it also might give you the chance to kind of actually make some changes that you'd hope to be making all along the way. Um, and one of the things I want to just lay down at the outset is when you first encounter these things like that or we're out of space okay well that's an opportunity right what's the opportunity well uh, it's an opportunity to grow it's a great time to raise money for expansion it's a great time to start entertaining new ideas about how you might do church you can add more services you can now right now somebody's thinking oh but that sounds like bad things because what we really want is to stay in the same room right okay well that's an opportunity to teach the church about what it means to be the church and all those kinds of things, right? So when you, when you encounter it, you have the choice as a leader to make the decision, how much of this moment in time am I going to spend navel-gazing versus trying to go, okay, 
This happened. What are the hidden opportunities in this? Uh, how can we use this as an opportunity to get better? How can we actually use this as an opportunity to upgrade what we do as opposed to uh, just viewing it through the lens of loss? Um, and in many cases, I would suggest to you, almost every case, there's at least some opportunity. It may be that the opportunity chips don't outweigh the, the loss, okay? I'm not saying that. Uh, but there is a way of looking at the world through the kingdom lens that simply says, just because this happened, just because this was taken away or this was lost, does not mean that, that, is not, that there's no opportunity to gain here. Okay, so we're going to take briefly uh, a very quick trip through the first eight years of New Vintage Church, uh, where, where I uh, serve and have been since day one. I helped start New Vintage Church. Uh, I preached uh, four services at the, at the church I was preaching at in the moment, in, at that morning, and that night we started New Vintage Church. There were 16 of us there. Uh, most of that was the four founding fathers, so to speak, and uh, our families, so there were a couple other families there as well. Uh, and we had no money, we had no plan. Okay, so don't, this is not a go bottle this and do it. This is a, a, a learn from this, okay, where sometimes you create your own losses, okay? Um, this is not necessarily the way I would recommend. It's what we felt like we needed to do at the time, so we did that. Um, from that moment on, uh, we had 16 the first night, the second week we had 30. Uh, so we almost doubled in one week, right? That's one way you can look at it, a little dramatic, but we went ahead and took it. Right. Um, from that point on, uh, we ended up, we were in the building we were meeting in, we got kicked out very quickly, about five, six week, months in. Uh, the, the ladies that were having their Bible class at the church on Sunday nights when we were having our services didn't like the noise we were making, so we got the boot. We were out. Uh, so we ended up at that point, oh no, we lost. What are we going to do? How could God let this happen to our church? No, that's not what we did because we didn't have time to think about it that way. We had to go, okay, where are we going next? Uh, we got three days to figure it out and let everybody know. And so we scrambled around and, oh, by the way, it needs to be free. Where can we go for free? Um, <laughs> that they would let us come in, brand, I mean, people they don't know very well, to come in and start holding a church service. Okay, well, I had a friend who was a pastor at a church and he and I become friends. He was going through some stuff and he'd come to me uh, years before. And uh, he said, you know what, you guys come on in. You start paying us when you can, all right? Just for now, you guys can come in. Sunday nights, we go into this building, red carpet, pews, stained glass. It's not as pretty as it sounds. I'm talking rundown old church, right? Uh, this is Sunday night. It was built behind the stage was this huge stained glass uh, backsplash. And it, the sun would drop right behind it, right at about 5.30 when I'd get up to preach. And it would blind everybody in the room. So I have very vivid memories, people wearing shades while I was preaching, people doing this, people with ball caps pulled down over their eyes, and we would get up during, at the beginning of the service, everybody would be on one side of the room, and then when we'd do the greeting, everybody would get their stuff, and they'd move over to the other side of the room. We did that for four or five months. Uh, we grew from, I don't know, 35 to 45, something like that, uh, maybe 50, if you count the kiddos. And uh, long story short, the church that was in there, uh, we were just putting the, the nose to the grindstone, but we were starving to death. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the people. We just wasn't working that well, frankly. But we had resolution. Uh, we were dedicated. And the church that was in there was having its own troubles, right? And so they, we were getting ready to make a move. We felt like we needed to get out of there, so we were getting ready to leave and go to a new place. 
and they stopped us and they said, hey, uh, how about a merger? Now watching what they were going through, we did not want any part of that at the time. So we said, nope, see ya, we're out of here. They said, well, how about this? Then why don't, what if, what if we just dissolved and gave you guys the building? That was their idea. Well, we were interested in that, right? That, that changed the whole game. So, so we went through that process and I don't wanna make it sound easy because it wasn't. It was filled with town hall meetings where people cussing at each other and all the stuff that goes with an, a, 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 a movement like that, right? Um, but within less than a year after we started, they gave us a building, right? So this is Southern California, it's not easy to get a building, right? Um, 23,000 square feet, um, two acres of land, um, and, and it was beat to snot, but it was ours, right? Um, so we go ahead and go in there, we, get, we hang on to about 20 people of their folks, the other 20 are trying to kill us every day out in the community, because they voted against it on the other side or whatever, and off we go. So we go into that, and it's like, okay, this place is falling apart, now we got bills to pay, we already couldn't pay our people, now we don't have bills to pay on a building that's falling apart, what's gonna happen? Well, God delivered just enough manna in the, in the wilderness, to get us to squeak through, we barely just started to get a little bit of lift off, got just enough growth that we could kind of pay people. I forgot to mention there was some cash that came with that building. We were able to just fill potholes in people's lives enough to keep them alive, okay? We get through there and basically the next year, it's like, hey, we need to raise some money to, to do a capital campaign on this. So we did one, we did a remodel. Uh, we maybe we get about another 50 people out of that, okay? Um, but it's like the children's wing's still a disaster. The bathrooms are so bad that, that literally the, the staff, which at the time was all male, would, would count the cost. Have I used the bathroom before they left their houses? That's how bad the bathroom was. <laughs> I'm telling you, guys, guys go to the bathroom in you know, stadiums in the third quarter and, and have seen some pretty gnarly stuff. But our guys would like, nah, I'm going to use the bathroom before I leave. That's how bad they were. Raise some more money, go you know, overhaul the building. That yields nothing, basically. Um, so we just keep chugging, keep chugging, keep chugging. Our church just kind of gets, I would say, complacent, lazy, you know. We get lazy because we finally grew enough that we, we knew we'd survive. So it's kind of like uh, all, the, all the, the white knuckle stuff that you get when you're starting and survival finally hit. And we're like, we got lazy, I think. And it kind of rocked us to sleep a bit. We got real complacent, real lazy. And it became pretty obvious that, that we needed to move, in my opinion. I didn't go public with that. But when we had a school show up and say, hey, we're gonna, we'll offer you, at the time they were offering $4.9 million for the building, out of the blue, as long as you guys can get out of it in you know, a few months, which we had nowhere to go. Um, I, I said, okay, and I went to the board and brought them the idea and they thought that similarly. But we had nowhere to go, so we started looking for places to go. Well, that deal falls through, but we're still looking for places to go. Um, we look out in the normal places. We go out to suburbia, where they're building houses. Uh, in Southern California, you're looking at a five to seven year build. Permits, all the joy that goes with that, environmental studies, all that, right? five to seven years, what are we gonna do in the meantime? And can we survive five to seven years in a gym or something while we're waiting for that to be built? I went and checked out an old beat up El Torito. Anybody ever been to El Torito, the old Mexican restaurant? There's a beat up El Torito in a near, nearby city. 
guy wants almost $8 million for it, okay? Okay, well, now you've created a problem where it's like, even if we sell the building, we're gonna come out with something that we like less, that does us less good for twice the money. That doesn't make any sense. So do we stay? Well, and some people would have said, okay, that's God telling you, you know. It, it, you always hear, if, uh, you know, where God closes the door, he opens a window. Sometimes you feel like God sealed the windows off too. Uh, and maybe that's God's way of saying, stay put, you ungrateful people, right? So instead, what we did was we said, no, let's keep our eyes open. Let's keep our eyes open. Um, and through an odd sequence of events that I'll tell you more about tomorrow and how all this kind of tripped out, we started, instead of looking out, we started looking in. And we looked uh, in the downtown area of Escondido, of the city where we were. And we ran into, there was an old vintage theater. It was uh, opened in 1938. It was built in 1937. It had been shuttered for almost two decades. But back in the day, it was quite the place. Hollywood people would go down there and watch themselves on this ginormous screen that they had down there. It was one of the biggest movie screens in the West. It had the first motion-activated water fountain in the United States. It's still in the wall in that theater. It has a hole where you can see the laser would go across, so when you would put your head in, the laser would pick up that your head was there. Uh, probably gave everybody brain tumors, but they, they did it. <laughs> and they, uh, they would just uh, go in there and, 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 and uh, check out. People would drive from all over to see this motion-activated water fountain. And, and I just, I got this thing. I wanted to go in and see it. Nobody had ever, very few people had ever been inside the place. And I just was like, I want to see it. I want to see it. I want to see it. Nobody could figure out who owned it. Nobody could figure out how to get in there. And eventually I run into a guy at a Christmas party, realtor. Uh, he's dying of AIDS. He's blind. And so we're sitting there talking at a Christmas party. He's a realtor, and he heard me talking about it, wanted to know more, said that he would find out who owned the place. Sure enough, by noon the next day, calls me, tells me the guy's name, his number. I've already called him. He's awaiting your call, da 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 So I get in there. We walk in, and it looks really tiny from the outside, from the street. And we go inside, and it's enormous. 878 seats in there. 878 seats. Now, this is on a corner, uh, or right next to a corner in our city, that's kind of on the blighted side of the street. Uh, it's about a 70% or so occupancy rate on Grand Avenue, which is the former downtown's main drag of Escondido. They have a big vintage car rally there, Friday nights, every Friday night between April and October, through October, called Cruising Grand, that drives somewhere between 25 and 50,000 people every Friday night, okay? It ends, the barricade's put up on that corner, right there. The farmer's market for the city goes on right outside the front door of that spot. So I get inside there, and so we go, we check it out, and we go, hey, this is awesome. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, all my little things are going off. I have my friend come downtown. Uh, he's a, he's a well-known architect to just get his thoughts on it. Sound like it was his, seemed like it was kind of thing. He looks at it, he checks out the zoning, and it is zoned historic, right, which means by nature, you're going to have a tough time doing anything to it. But it's also, that block is zoned specifically non-religious use only. You cannot use it. Okay, so here you are. You know, could be dream shattered. That's the point at which the realtor was like, okay, that's all right. We'll just move on somewhere else. And da, da, da. I was like, yeah, let's just keep, you know, let's check it out. Let's, uh, my buddy says, hey, you need the building next to it too. The corner, you need the corner building. And then he starts kind of painting this vision for what could happen, et cetera, et cetera. 
I'll have to fast forward through a bunch of this so we can actually talk about some of this stuff, but I won't, at the end of the day, what ended up happening was both of those buildings were historic. Both of them were, were um, zoned non-religious use. We were able to acquire both of them for less than a million dollars a building, okay? We, in the time, in less than two years from the time I first met the owner of the theater, okay, to the time that it will be finished, will be two years. Okay, so think about what it takes to get the buildings, buy them, do the church management process, change management process, get the drawings done, the rendering is done, get the city council to approve it, demolish one building, rebuild it, and get the, restore the vintage theater all in less than two years. In Southern California, okay? Miracle of God is what that's called, right? Uh, and when the vote gets passed at the city council, it's a unanimous city council vote. You know how many opponents were there that night? Not a one. And some of the most vehement affirmers of it at the city council meeting, tomorrow I'll show you the video of the actual vote taking place and how it went down. The people get up and the people that are championing it aren't even Christians. They get up and they're saying all these syrupy sweet things about the church. These are the nicest people. This church changed my life. You know, I'm not a Christian, and I'm Jewish, but I love these people. You know, they're, they're, I mean, and so you have the outsiders championing the cult. And you have a situation now where as this thing is going to be built, donations are coming in from outside the church to build the building. So think about this. You have people who aren't Christians helping build a building that our church is going to worship in. All right. So what I want to do, and, and, and then, okay, so what we're going to do is take that, transform that into a 24-7 arts complex. And we'll have a coffee house kind of anchoring the corner. Our church will meet in the Ritz Theater, the, the, the vintage theater, when it's redone. And then in the building next to it that we're dropping and rebuilding, that'll be a two-story building that'll have all the kids stuff in it, team stuff, and it'll have a rooftop lounge on the top. Kind of like if you go over to uh, out back of the Oasis place. The media, as soon as we filed the paperwork to go for this, the media picks it up. And after the initial attempt to stir the pot and they didn't get very far, then it just took on a life of its own. We've been covered in every stinking newspaper you can imagine, including the front page of the Metro section of the San Diego Union Tribune twice. This is the latest copy of our city magazine. This is Escondido Magazine. That's what this building will look like when it's finished on the front. So, now all that happens just, how does that even happen? You go from checking out this terrible old Torito to, to this being done in about seven or eight months. I mean, we're under construction now. Okay, so let me, I'm gonna walk you through how that happened, all right? And I couldn't do it again if I tried. So I'm not saying that just because it worked for us that it's gonna work for you, because I didn't think it would work for us either, frankly. But it did. And what I've observed over my years of ministry is that when you have certain things, certain ways of looking at things, opportunity tends to find you because God brings it to you. All right, so here's, here's what I want to uh, throw out to you. Uh, there are five things I'm going to give you here real quick on the recognizing opportunities front. First thing, I said this last year, if you were in my class, you need a life of blessability. God typically gives opportunities to people he trusts with those kinds of opportunities. 
And so you pray, you ask God, and you stay holy. I think a lot of times um, churches are too dysfunctional for God to use. And they might be amazed that if they clean their act up a bit, uh, how much stuff might find them. Um, the Bible says that if God is for you, who can stand against you? Well, the opposite is also true. If God's against you, good luck. <laughs> you know, th- those opportunities are not going to find you. Um, and you tend to find disaster instead. Number two, a spirit of expectation. That means as I walk around, I expect God's going to do something great. I just believe he's going to do it. And so let me just say, just because things have always been uneventful at your church does not mean they have to be that way all the time, okay? Or that God wants it to stay that way. Some of you may have seen the, I would have showed it to you today, the the video of the uh, dancing gorilla that goes through. You've got people, um, some of them have, there are different versions of it. Some people are juggling. um, And you're watching this video and you just see two guys juggling and then it stops and goes, did you see the dancing gorilla? And they play it back again in slow motion. And sure enough, there's a gorilla, a guy in a gorilla suit that walks right through the video and does a, does a dance and walks off. And you didn't see him at all when he, when he crossed the path. And the reason was you were focusing on the guys juggling. Right? Um, and you weren't really expecting a dancing gorilla to walk through the, the video. So you weren't looking for one, right? Um, God wants to grow his church, and he wants to bless your church. You almost have to always go about life looking for the dancing gorilla. Does that make sense? They're going, okay, what, what's out there that God could be doing? Uh, like a seismograph detects small shifts in the earth. Your ears to the ground, and you're going, okay, God, I don't know how you're going to use this. You may not, but I'm going to go check it out anyway. And just by doing it, um, whether it's... Um, when everybody said, don't, don't, you know, the, hey, don't go for that because it's zoned the wrong way. It's, a, it's like, yeah, you know, let's go see it anyway. Let's just go see it anyway. Let's see what happens. A phrase that you might want to check out in the Bible, interesting study. Don't find uh, the phrase in the concordances, it just so happened. And it just so happened that that was the day of this feast. And it just so happened that uh, Mordecai, you know, <laughs> this and that, and it just so happened that that was the day that this happened, right? Well, and as I tell our church, you know, when, in, in, when you're working kind of in that realm of opportunity in the kingdom, it just so happens, happens a lot, right? John 4, Samaritan woman at the well, the disciples see Samaria, let's get out of here. Jesus goes, what are you talking about? No, 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 no. Open your eyes. The harvest is plentiful. They don't see it. He sees it because he's got a different way of looking at the world. And number three, a posture of readiness. Okay, and I'm going to camp out here for just a little bit. A posture of readiness means that if God came and he dropped a big old pot of gold in our lap, we would actually know what to do with it. We would be able to, to, to say yes to it. Uh, and that we could actually do uh, something with it. There was, uh, this is back from my time in Dallas. The Austin Street Church of Christ, which is no longer in existence, came to us looking for church advice. They were just having some tough times. We were, we were, God was doing some great things among us, and they just wanted some counsel. So a lot of churches would have thought, we don't have time for this. We got our own problems. We were under construction ourselves at the time. And they said, uh, they were just looking for help. So, so we did that. Um, and when it came down to it, they decided that they were going to dissolve. They sold their building, okay, and they were literally looking for somebody to take the money. 
and they couldn't find anybody. We were the last girl they asked to the prom. <laughs> Seriously. It was Friday. I'm supposed to be off that day. We have one person, the bookkeepers at the building. A guy drives into the little carport underneath the main entrance, rings the buzzer, has an envelope. Okay, it has a post-it note on the front that says to be used for something like it was like a, to be used for some great kingdom cause or something. One point two seven million dollar cashier check, an envelope. All right, and the reason it came our way is because we were ready. And other people weren't. Okay? Organizational agility. Okay? The ability to vote yes on something quickly. The ability to say no quickly. Do you have any idea how many hires I've made because we were faster than another church? <laughs> we got an offer to them faster than anybody else. Uh, I've said in the past, I don't know if it still applies, but in the Churches of Christ, the over-under on a, on a youth minister hires about a, probably about a year. From the time that you, you know, if, if your youth minister quits, you're probably looking at about 12 months from that point until they're sitting in their office down the hall. It's too slow, man. Uh, it's hard to recognize opportunities if that thing might be born, live a full life, and die before you can even vote on it. So you have to have the opportunity. And so that means if you have expectation that God's going to be doing something, it means your leadership structures itself so that... You can do this, going back to the Ritz Theater. When it came time to buy that theater, it was Christmas time. Okay, I had the flu really badly. Bad, I had it for like two months, I lost 20 pounds. I need to do that again, cheap diet. <laughs> Painful diet, but it's a cheap one. Um, and with the Catholics, uh, John Paul the Great Seminary was, was also interested in it. Well, they got a heck of a lot more money than we have, right? What happens to be Advent? So they all go home for Advent, right? Well, us being good restorationist people, we're kind of like, all right, good. sounds like buying time. I went, got the board, we voted the thing through. I, was, I had to get a prequal letter from a lender who also works quickly. I got it the same day, okay? A prequalification letter for our church, walked it in there, here we go, here's the money, this is great. So Catholics come back from Advent, it's gone. Okay, this whole thing doesn't happen because of speed. Financially, when we look this out, work this out on a timeline, okay, in the way that all the cost-benefit analysis of the whole thing, if it didn't happen fast, it couldn't happen. Because we can't buy buildings and develop them and be making all the payments on those without being able to use them, right? So it had to happen fast. So the people we worked with had to be fast, okay? And you organize yourself to be fast, not because it, it alleviates the headaches of, of having to deal with other people. You do it so that when an opportunity comes your way, you're ready. You know, you can pounce on it. So if, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll mention her since she's here. Kayla Hurst, our new executive pastor, is here over in this side of the room. Okay, I had to be able to... to when Kayla came in, if you know everything felt good to everybody involved, I'm not going to let her go two or three months waiting for a committee to meet eight times to argue about whether it should be her or somebody else so that then whoever we pick, they, half of the people think it's the wrong person 
The church is sitting in chronic anxiety for three months, hoping that we pick the right person. You have to be able to move on stuff fast, right? So our board and our church is organized to be very, very agile. And we've always been that way. And as long as I'm there, I'm going to fight tooth and nail to make sure we stay that way. Because it is a core gift of being able to pounce on opportunities. Now, some people take the perspective that, um, hey, if, um, you know, if, 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 if it's God's will, it'll happen no matter how, you, how long you drag it out. Uh, and how many, you know, who gets in the way. And I said, I don't know how, how well that matches scripture, actually. Because it's not that God couldn't. Why would he, though? Like, why, why, would, why would God choose to give an opportunity to a church that spent a year fighting about it instead of to a church that was already expecting him to do it? Does that make sense? So when it comes your way, man, you're ready because you're ready you were expecting it to happen. When you see the dancing gorilla come across the screen, you wave to him because you knew he was coming, right? At least, uh, so I'll go ahead and add... Uh, to that, the uh, uh, financial readiness, agility. Um, most churches, I'm going to do this tomorrow. I'm going to give you three churches. I'm going to take the names off of them. They're churches I've consulted with that will form the basis of each of the illustrations. One will be a church of about 20 people that has about a 5 to $8 million facility, $200,000 in the bank, and, and 20 or 30 people. Okay, very common in California. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of those churches. You have another church that's about 100, had its best days in the, in the, in the rearview mirror. Uh, they're running maybe 100 people, something like that. They've got a building, it's kind of modest, um, but they've, they've been bleeding a little bit slowly for years and years and years and years. Uh, they've got the building, building's paid off, and they've got 100 or $200,000 in the bank. And then there's another one that's doing pretty well, three or four or 500 people, uh, pretty stable, don't rock the boat kind of place, okay? This means different things for different types of churches. But one of the things that, that you have to have if you really want to realize opportunities is that most churches carry way too much cash, way too much cash, okay? Uh, and property for what they are accomplishing, okay? Now, don't get offended. I'm just gonna ask you to think about this, okay? And as I've talked to churches who have ended up um, you know, taking their building and, and giving that back to the kingdom in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the parable of the talents is a very serious text. And if the Bible gives you 10, and, and remember, a talent was what? It was money. Now, we, we use it and flip it into spiritual gifts or whatever. That's a money parable. Okay. So if you got 10, if you're sitting on a $10 million building, $250,000 in cash, you got 20 people. And you sit on it year after year after year after year after year. Church planner after church planner comes in asking for support. And you say, no, 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 no. And those 20 people, you're not baptizing anybody. You're not putting any points on the board. You have no plan. At some point, it's worth asking the question about faithfulness. In the parable of the talents, the person who preserves everything is called wicked and lazy and sent to eternal torment in one of them, okay? The person who counted faithful was the person who had the 10 or the five and doubled it, right? And in one case, it's take what he had and give it to them, which is why I think, I mean, this isn't true in every case, but I think sometimes we, we need, we're gonna be held accountable for how we steward what God's given to us. 
whether it's human resources or, or fiscal. Um, so, uh, you know, there, uh, I, I'll, I'll give you one, one example, okay. Uh, there, there's a church that I did some work with that had uh, about 100 people. They had a half a million dollars in cash in the bank. They had a building in six houses, okay. And they didn't want to hire anybody new because they wanted to balance the budget. And I just thought to myself, I'm going, I, I would, I, you know, from a consultant standpoint, I want to just pull my hair out. Because what you're trying to do is say, tell you what, get rid of one house, just one. You can keep five. Okay? Uh, one of those houses would have gone for half a million dollars easy. Take that, invest it in, in human resources, or the building was falling apart in some really key spots. Go doll the building up in the end. You could hire like five people. I mean, you could do it, right? But it's, we'll never get them back again if we sell them. You're not real estate tycoons. You're, you're in ministry, right? Your, your goal is not to hang on to real estate. The goal is conversions, discipleship. That's the kind of business we're in, right? So what it does is when you, when you do manage your stuff in a way that you have liquidity and you can, you're organizationally able to move quickly, and when opportunity comes your way, you can afford it, right? You've got the money to be able to do something. Then it will find you. All right. Now, under that the posture of readiness, let me go back to the opportunity lens, the ability to just look at things, um, you know, a mentality that proactively looks for opportunities hidden within challenges that you have, right? So if you're sitting there and you're going, well, that's us. We're the 20-member church with the building and all that stuff. Okay, is that really that big of a challenge? I mean, dude, you're loaded. There's a ton of opportunities for you to make some noise if you want to. You could change. By selling your building, you could take $10 million and change the entire trajectory of the restoration movement in California with that. I mean, you really could. You, you put that kind of money in the right hands of the right church planners, you, you, could, you could rock the West Coast with that kind of money. Or, you keep doing what you're doing, and, and your goal, which is to stay alive, right? Which is not the goal in the New Testament, right? So, I'm, I'm giving this to you to think about. I'm not trying to chastise anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody feel negative. I'm trying to open your eyes to opportunities. Okay, and how God could use you. Uh, a staff member departure, for instance, of a key staff member. Yes, it saves money. It opens a seat for leadership. It allows for easy change in that area. And yes, you might be able to actually upgrade and hire somebody better. I know that sounds, you know, right now, that, you know, the youth minister or the worship guy or the, whoever you're thinking in your mind, they are the greatest there's ever been. There's somebody better out there. <laughs> there really is. And they might even be sitting in your church right now. Uh, so something to think about. Times of change. Um, what are the opportunities when you need to make a major change in your church that you know is probably going to cause some heartburn? Are there any opportunities you guys can think of uh, that would go with that? Other than just problems on the horizon? Or is there anything good? No? Okay, I'll give you a few. Um, I, times have changed. Uh, I like to, I like to, I think it's a great time, first of all, for you to serve up a change sandwich. Don't make one, make three. 
okay? I like to take change and put it in a big old sandwich because otherwise you're gonna have to serve that nasty sandwich three times. I just assume serve it in one meal and then start serving mac and cheese again, right? Let me give you an example. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not really um, doing this to encourage your church to do it. This is just how we did it. When we hired Kayla over here, Kayla's an exceptional communicator, in my, in my opinion, okay? Our church was, was, our women have always been very involved in ministry, but not, not on the stage in a preaching room, okay? So that would be new. We've had uh, women lead worship before. We've had women lead ministries before. We have women on the staff. We have all that. But we had never had that before, right? So you have Kayla who's coming in in an executive pastoral. I mean, she's number two. I'd already hired that once and saw how that went. When I was in Dallas, I hired a, a, a number two female, um, a wing woman. Uh, and, uh, but there was some, some pause over that, right? So if you're going to do that and you know that you're going to have, the church might have some heartburn over it. Now the board's on board with it. The staff's on board with it. Okay, would it be smart for me to go ahead and just say, hey, you know what, we'll do this, and then you know what, then we'll start, I'll hire her, so everybody gets mad about that. Then, let's start a one-year study about the role of women in the church. And then I'll start, I'll put her in the pulpit, and we'll see how it goes. No, that's stupid, don't do that. Change is best served in sandwiches. Okay, so when we went, and that's one again, so... It was, it was as simple as getting up and saying, guys, we're hiring you. You know, we've been looking for a new XP, and, and I'm proud to introduce her. <laughs> Putting her in a thing on the screen, I introduced her. I talked about uh, all the different uh, gifts that she'd had, where she was coming from, blah, blah, blah. And she's an exceptional communicator. So, you know, six or eight times a year, she's going to be speaking in my place. It was done. You know how many families we lost? One, right? And I don't know, how many times have you preached so far? Four? I think it's four in six, seven months. Okay. Um, so now that may not be a change your church wants to make. The principle of, of change management here is, and I know there are some who would argue with that. They like the slow leech bleed treatment. But the reason that a one-year class on the role of women in the church doesn't work, I haven't found it work anywhere, is because people aren't rational first. They are emotional first. So when you address the head and not the feeling, you lose. You ever try to explain to your spouse who's really upset about something? You know, you're not being rational. How well does that work? I mean, this doesn't work like that. That's not how people are wired. The reason that they get upset when um, a certain kind of music changes, it's not because they can make a great rational argument that that singing Hillsong in church is wrong. It's because it, they're afraid of losing their tradition, right? So why are you trying to argue with them rationally about that? It's really more about help, help address what they're actually feeling. So if you know you're going to take the church through a very tough moment, my advice to you would be change is best served in a, in a sandwich. I'll give you another one. When we did the zoning on those buildings, right? And we knew, do I want to go get the permit for the, for the um, if I go get a religious use permit and it's a conditional use permit for us to meet there, and then I need to come back and get a permit for the rooftop lounge. 
And then I need to come back and get a permit so that we can do a, a, a restaurant coffee house down the corner. And then I'll come back another year later. No, 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 man. We're, we're looping all those suckers in one big enchilada, and you vote on the whole thing right now. And that's what they did. So we got that whole that entire corner rezoned with one vote. Right? So what I'm saying is, I'm not, I'm not saying, now you know which of those is filled with nitroglycerin, okay? And then you know that there's a big difference, and not every change is created equal. Use your judgment. Um, but I'm going back to the opportunity lens. So when you're doing change and stuff like that, if a group of people in your church leave, are there any opportunities in that? I'm asking. You guys, can you think of any? No? Okay, I'll think of some. It uh, what? It depends, it depends why they leave. Okay. You want to tell me more? Why or, or who? I mean, sometimes addition through subtraction is true. Um, sometimes uh, those folks leaving uh, makes your church healthier. Sometimes it opens up seats on the bus that they were occupying and they wouldn't let go. Sometimes they were the block to a key change that your church needed to make that you never could have made if they were there. Now, right now, some of you are going, this sounds so mean. It's not mean. If they cared about your church as much as you think they do, they'd still be there. I'm sorry. You're still there because you care. Not everything that goes on at NBC is something I like. People think it is, but it's not. But the reality is I've stayed, and I'm, I will always be more committed to the church than anybody who sits in the pew. I'll start it. I know every story in there. My blood's all over the ground in that place. And so, with respect to them, I want everybody to stay. But the vision is what's most important. And if I want God to honor me with opportunities, then I can't have God bring me an opportunity to which I say, I would love to do that. But I'm sorry, what Sister Sue says is more important. I can't do that. And if I do, I'm not, I shouldn't hold my breath waiting for opportunities. Because he'll go give those to somebody who doesn't, who doesn't take the word of Uncle Ernie over his own. All right. We've got two more real quick. A heart of courage. Risk is par for the course. If you don't like risk, don't expect opportunities. Because God doesn't usually provide low-risk opportunities. Hey, Moses, I want you to take the Israelites away from Pharaoh uh, and go to the promised land. And there will be no obstacles between here and there. You're going to walk right up and Pharaoh's going to say, sure. In fact, I was getting ready to release him myself. Thanks for saving me the trouble. And you're just going to sashay from right there all the way into the promised land. That's not how it works. Almost every great opportunity that God ever gives anybody is full of risk and challenge. Full of risk and challenge. So along with organizational agility, okay, the ability to move quickly, is I'll call it organizational, we'll use the term spy. To be able to say, okay, God's called us to do this, and he will see it through. Our church's budget for the year 2018 was just about $650,000. This is going to cost $10 million. Million, not thousand. Million dollars. It took a lender willing to take a risk like that, a church willing to take a risk like that, sell your building, go to a temporary spot, hope that this thing doesn't drag on to the Lord's return, 
Okay, keep giving, keep doing whatever, right? And, and okay, it's full of risk. What if we try to sell our building and we can't get as much for it as we thought and we end up taking a million dollar hit on that? Uh, what if when we leave one spot and go to another spot, nobody shows up at the other spot and now you've got a $10 million bill to pay with no church? What if, what if, what if, what if, and I, I kind of harken back to something I heard T.D. Jake say in a sermon recently. He goes, God will never order something he can't pay for. Uh, I also like, he says, God, uh, God won't give you uh, a chair he doesn't have a person for. I, I like that way of seeing the world. It's much more biblical in, in, in my view. Uh, again, the promised land usually takes you through the Red Sea, a pillar of cloud and a fire kind of experience and those kind of things, right? And then lastly, and this is what we'll pick up tomorrow, a will to finish. Oh, man. Let me tell you something. Um, many churches, I, don't, I think this is kind of one of those little secrets that leadership teams won't say out loud because they know how it would sound out loud. Many churches don't seek opportunities because they're too tired to do the work to realize them. They know that. I think a lot of churches don't seek opportunities or they're not open to them. They don't, they don't want to see them sometimes because they know how much stinking work it will be. They know the price that will have to be paid for that. They know that means people will leave, that they might have to write personal checks for some of that stuff. Uh, that means people that they love and care about are gonna call them names. And that's just stinking hard. And it's a lot easier to just keep doing what we're doing, right? And as long as we're not taking on too much water and everybody's happy, then we're good. Well, okay, then if that's the way you wanna be and that's your value, then don't hold your breath looking for opportunities because God doesn't bring opportunities to people who are totally committed to the status quo. Uh, I think a lot of churches too only seek things to a point. So they'll go ahead and they'll explore it, but they'll go down the road about halfway and then realize, oh, you know what? I don't think, yeah, uh, it's just, you know, go meet some resistance. So I had some people go, hey, you know, if, it, if it's gonna be this hard, maybe that's God's way of saying you shouldn't do it. Which, of course, you go, okay, so easy, God usually does easy things, right? Everything, everything that God calls somebody to do is super easy. I mean, so they view it as, as rather than looking at it through the lens of, no, God has called us to do this. And yes, we're going to naturally meet resistance from the evil one. He's going to try and sow discord in the body and amongst the leadership. And he's going to go after the families of the staff people. And he's going to do all of that. He's going to wreak havoc on everybody's uh, churches and houses as best he can. But if God has called us to this, then at the end, we will be more than conquerors through him who loved us. We will, we will prevail. Okay, because God has called us to this, and if we will be faithful, he will see us through. Um, it's kind of a way of, of looking and, and not taking no for an answer on some things. I mean, I'll give, me the, I'll give you an example. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about this at length tomorrow. Um, when we've gotten into these things, people would tell it, I've been told no, or that can't, or you can't, that they will never a hundred jillion times through this process. And here we are, and it's happened every time. And part of it is, it's a, it's a way of looking at opportunity that says, yeah, you know what, you're right. It is zoned, non-religious. You're right, they're historic buildings, and so we're very limited in what we're gonna be able to do. Yeah, you're completely right. And, and, and you know what? It's going to happen anyway. I just know. <laughs> and so, and, but then having the resilience to pursue it 
And then have somebody say, oh, you can't because it's on that way. And saying, yeah, I understand that. What if we did this? What if we did this? How about this? How about this? How about this? How about this? And eventually, you know, that thing keeps getting pushed back. And the next thing you know, you know, here you are. Um, it's recognizing that when you get to the edge of the Red Sea, a better approach is to say, okay, God, what now? Instead of saying, let's go back to Egypt. See the difference? So when you, when you approach these things and God gives you those kinds of opportunities, I would ask you, uh, in fact, I would beg of you to say, uh, rather than just quit, get to the shore and go, okay, God, what next? Um, because, you know, opportunities are a lot more like an Easter egg hunt than a shopping spree. In a shopping spree, you just run through the market. You grab things off the shelf and throw it in the cart, and you see right where everything is, right? Oh, I'm going to get the cereal and throw the sugar cereal in there. Okay, that's how that happens. This is a lot more like an Easter egg hunt. So you're going through your life, and you're noticing, oh, hey, I'm going to pick that thing up. Oh, there's nothing there. All right. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to explore that. Oh, that's not there either. I'm going to put that back down. All right. And you keep going, and then eventually, boom, there's an egg. Pick it up, you open up what's inside, and God, God gives you something. Then the question is, what can you do with this? Uh, I could give you other example. Uh, uh, a, um, uh, I should probably do this tomorrow. We got three minutes left. Um, tomorrow, here's what, here's the ground we're going to cover. Uh, how you, when God gives you an opportunity, how do you actually take it and run with it? Okay, um, and. Um, we're going to start with being generous. Okay, what that means is it's the it's the complete reverse of what you would think, which is not okay. Here's an opportunity. We should start saving our money for that. Nope, it's time to start giving away. Now, that, I know that sounds counterintuitive, but I'll try to explain to you why that why that makes a lot of sense tomorrow. Um, you know, principles like keeping stay talking to people, meaning a lot of people. Um, when an opportunity comes up, a potential opportunity, they'll have one meeting with somebody and it doesn't go so well, so they'll just feel like, oh, okay, it just didn't work out, and they'll walk away. Whereas, again, think about the Easter egg hunt, right? Just because you, you went through that corner once and there wasn't an egg there before doesn't mean you didn't miss something, and if you go back again, there will be something there. So I'm going to give you some examples of where that's happened, and especially in the building-related discussions I've had. Um, uh, showing up and staying until the end. Like you guys are doing right now. God bless you. What, what happens is like um, in certain conversations, a lot of times people will just, they'll look at it and like, ah, you know, I just don't want to go. I don't want to go to that. I don't want to, ah, you know, I'm busy. I, I can't tell you how many times by just showing up at something, at, at something, some, somebody that, that I ended up building a, a, a very profound relationship with. Uh, they were just doing something that was a big deal to them and I went. And some occasions it was nobody else showed up, but I was there. Okay, now some people go, oh, it was late, man. No, it wasn't. That's how God works, right? It's me and that other person. Do you think they care now what I think? Darn right they do, because they know I care about them because I was there and I stayed to the end. And in their mind, I'm one of their best friends. And that's how I see them too, right? So little, little, little things like that. And I'm going to give you some examples from uh, what we're doing. I'll play you the, the, the clip from the city council meeting. So you'll hear what the city council says. 
what the people of our community said as we were doing this, and then I'm going to try to explain to you how we got to that point where you could, in Southern California, in less than two years, walk in, look at a building, two historic downtown buildings, and in less than two years have them redeveloped, have it all permitted, re-permitted, have the whole corner rezoned. And, and get it done so that, and again, the point isn't to say go do this, because I couldn't do it again if I tried. It was a miraculous kind of thing that God brought to us, but I'm hoping that you in your mind right now are already going, oh, I wonder about this, or I wonder, pay attention to those things. And God says, hey, go over and talk to that guy. Walk across the room and talk to the guy and see what happens. And then keep talking to the guy and just see what happens. So some more of those stories plus the three church case studies uh, for tomorrow. We got time for one question. Anybody got a question before we go? One. Go for it. So you talk about uh, financial readiness. Mm -hmm. How do you work with a uh, budget team or whether it's like that really works more in the business world that says I need to keep so much reserve, I need to have uh, things for what ifs in the future versus you're saying, you know, Use your finances to the best. Yeah. How do you work through that? You know what? Let me, I'll hit that at length tomorrow because that, I've, I've been asked that. I've said this in almost every class I've ever taught, and somebody always asks me that. Um, in our particular case, our board is the finance team. <laughs> so we have financial guys on that group that, that help handle a lot of this stuff. And then we've got, um, in the case of this whole thing, we've got bankers and other people that are watching all of this as it takes place piece by piece, but in most churches you have an eldership and then in some cases you'll have a finance team, which is usually, in my experience, loaded with accountants. They're not even finance people or, or bankers, they're accountants. And their job is essentially to make sure there are enough acorns in the cupboard. So they try to preserve, which is not bad, you need to preserve to a point, but you need to have that balance. So I would, rather than trying to kick people out or go around them or over them or whatever, I would probably try to add two people that have a little bit more of a forward-thinking mindset and get your elders to help you with it. I don't know if you are one or not, but it may be the elders that you're having a problem with. I don't know, but, but trying to help them understand these things. So for instance, some people will say you need six months of expenses. Um, okay, that's, that's something pulled out of personal finance from when you get fired. But think about in a church context, okay? Every church I'm aware of has insurance on their building. Uh, they have liability umbrella insurance over almost everything too, you know, $10 million policy or something like that usually. Um, so why aren't we basing our finance on what would happen if we got fired personally and using that as a model for why, how we do finance in the church world as opposed to saying, okay, we're doing this and we're trying to save this. If we are saving, we're going to do it so that when God brings us the right opportunity, we will spend. And if it, if it takes putting in writing as a covenant between everybody involved, and that's what we do. So it might be that it's some mission point or some church that you want to you plant or do something like that. Then, and saving up for it as long as that money goes out the door. Uh, I, would, I would also suggest a savings cap. I know it sounds strange, but there might be some... People don't put the money in the plate so you can hang on to it. They put it in the plate so it can be used for ministry. So having a cap where you say, we will only save X amount of dollars. And at that point, we're going to find something to give it away to. Might be a, a kind of an interesting way to approach the problem, but I don't know your church's specific situation. So let me take a crack at that tomorrow. Thank you guys for coming. Hope we see you tomorrow. God bless you.